Welcome to Zero Ambitions, a podcast about sustainability, the built environment, and zero carbon goals. This week, we're with John Moorhead of Wayne Moorhead Architects. Jeff wanted to get John on as a follow-up to last week's episode to talk about space heating again, or to focus more on space heating, rather. John's got some really interesting ideas about the use of infrared and ceramics to heat space and ventilate better. I won't late on about it here. I'll let you just listen to it. We do start off the conversation talking about Feng Shui. We get into the actual stuff much quicker than that. I wouldn't discount Feng Shui entirely. There must be some sense to it, like with a lot of that stuff. But um, yeah, stick with us um, and enjoy it. Oh yeah, share, like, review, subscribe. Advertising Passive House Plus, subscribe to that if you don't already. All the usual things. Um, cool. And thank you for listening. Cheers. Bye. Oh, and it's just me and Jeff this week with John. Alex was busy on quiet work. He couldn't make it. But yeah, right. I'll let you go now. Bye. Here we go. That's oh, there we go. That's much better. I'm working. Uh, uh, well, for as long as I don't touch the lead. Hang on. It's gone back, hasn't it? No, no, you're fine. No, you're good, good now. Yeah. A little okay. depth back in the sound. Right, I will. Um, I will not move an inch. Uh, <laughs> your lead. I've got. Um, I'm getting your lead. It's ridiculous. Um, yeah, I'm working from John. I tend to work a lot from the. You know, uh, the office pods in the the apartment building where I live. Very good. Very handy. It is. Yeah. yeah. In fact, we've got rid of the office altogether. Um, in Patrick Street because we just weren't. Was never using it. You know. Yeah, you know? that makes a lot of sense. But yeah, they have to go and fare the snow today. Yeah, well, we don't have any, of course. I heard all about it this morning because Dublin got snow, the world had ended. <laughs> Yesterday, of course, the rest of us were all up to our necks. Well, that, we weren't, but the, the well, that, that's, that's, Midlands were. That's a question that, that that's actually going to be very topical uh, in, in terms of the context of this conversation. But before we get started, I want to, you know, we were talking about esoteric stuff um, mm. and the whole sustainable building area. Um, and um I do need, we had a lot of fun years ago in Construct Ireland doing a health special um, and um, going through various uh, esoteric concepts associated with green building, um, some of which are completely, you know, founded on nothing, basically, and some of which have uh, uh, do have validity. And, and it was it was it was very interesting. I remember fe- we, we covered Feng Shui, for instance. Um, yeah. Um, and... Uh, uh, there was a designer, a Feng Shui designer, who talked about um, how um, uh, for your love life, it was important to keep your uh, evening wear and stuff, you know, uh, uh, in, I don't know, the southwest corner. So she did that in her house, but but she kept her bird, I think it was a pet bird, and mm. her bird cage. And, uh, this, the things that she would slip into to get more comfortable uh, under under a bird cage. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> yeah. No, we, we had a project like that once, and... Uh... Uh, so as to be informed as one will, uh, managed to get a hold of the Feng Shui book uh, just to read up on it. And an awful lot of it makes a lot of sense. Well, that's, that's very simple. Yeah. Uh, but, I mean, and I could relate to some of it. And one particular person had uh, they'd issue, one of their kids had issues. And the next thing they, they found out they had running water underneath his room. Yeah. Um, which was the only room in the house that had running water running through underneath the foundations. And uh, yeah. You don't know what, you know, negative fields might be occurring in those situations well, that's different to everything else. No, um, that's true. I mean, what, what I would say is that when it comes to 
one of the things that creates room for alternative treatments and stuff is that um there you can talk sense maybe a certain percentage of the time maybe even the majority of the time and i don't want to malign things for you specifically after what after what i said it's just to change course um but um you know uh you can that then enables you to slip in uh, maybe unintentionally, uh, unwittingly, uh, complete nonsense, you know, um, and uh, and it's it's not having that scrutiny of kind of evidence based uh, approaches. That I think is the, is the yeah. problem. Yeah. Of this, you know? yeah. Oh man, I had a, a hedge fund client at the an agency I used to work at who he was well into feng shui to the extent that we did a branding project with him, and the last mm. part of the brief was to tell us that uh, all the creative would be run by a feng shui master in India somewhere who he'd met whilst on uh, a traveling expedition following his divorce. So it had had quite an influence on his life to the extent that there were colors and crystals dotted around the office that uh, were under the advice of this feng shui master. Mm. And uh, it didn't dominate... Pardon? Did he find peace? To an extent. Yeah. Like having, so in terms of like creative, uh, in terms of branding, mm. having some fixed points in creative, like textures, colors, mm. and shapes mm. that were defined by the the person who would be the eventual arbiter of whether this brand would fly or not. Mm. It was really useful. You know, squares and circles, like the Renminbi coin, um, you know, the circle with the square cut out of the middle. Yes. You can make anything out of squares and circles. Yes. If you animate it. Yeah. So it gave us some really strong fixed points to work from that would satisfy yeah. everyone involved in the process. Yeah. Um, we even uh, got uh, a user experience feng shui consultant. So specifically right. websites, a guy who claimed to feng shui your website. Just as a, you know, just as a an add-on to the project. So we did more than just pay lip service to it. Yeah. Um, yeah, I wouldn't discount it. There's something in it. Well, and, I, think, uh, I think just because you can't prove things, sometimes you can't just dismiss them. Do you know? It, there's a lot of yeah. common sense in it. Yeah. Like, yeah. you know, just make your building livable. Yeah. Uh, the long and short of it. Like, creating holes in skyscrapers for dragons to fly through. Yeah, it's basically, you know, yeah. Yeah. I can, mm. <laughs> I can, I can. Uh, you you appreciate the sentiment. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, there's a degree of devotion to a higher power. Yeah. Where you know it, it removes some of the arrogance at the human individual. But you know what? Dry, flying dragons, like oh yeah. Um, I, I I like it. I sort of believe in the interconnectedness of all things. But uh, I, 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 I have life. trouble. I have trouble when people start talking about energy uh, in in terms other than kilowatt hours. Frankly, you know, um, yes. it it, uh, it, uh, it it just. I I know what you're saying. There are things that we can't necessarily prove um, or cur- or currently prove. Um, but that you have to be very careful with that because that creates a gap potentially for an awful lot of nonsense to get through as well. You know. Um, and um uh of course i'm i'm probably being too uh it's like i may have told you before john um well not long i've certainly said it on the podcast before but not long after we rebranded the magazine as passive plus um 
I got a letter, uh, an email from a, from a green architect I, be, I would have been friendly with and still will be friendly with, um, uh, who was disappointed that we'd, we'd aligned ourselves to the passive house standard um, mm-hmm. and uh, asked if I'd consider writing about active hus, which is a Norwegian standard, um, mm-hmm. a, a concept for a Norwegian standard. Um, and uh, uh, I, it looked interesting. Um, and I wrote back asking a bunch of questions like, what? calculation methodologies used what what's the energy performance you know target is there space heating demand is there an air tightness target what ventilation systems are permitted and so on you know and the response i got was jeff this is a very left of brain response that's and that's part of the problem and i thought you know i i struggle with this idea that we can't be pinned down to specifics you know um and uh, and verify quantifiable verifiable specifics mm. Um, that doesn't mean that you can reduce everything in life to, uh, to, to you know, uh, to, to, to these specific terms, you know. Um, no, no, particularly not when we're you know, talking built environment where you're providing accommodation, you know, for yeah. people, because uh, everything can end up going down that way, which was one of the concerns we had originally with Passivos. Interesting. You know, yeah. that you can get your, yeah, you can optimize your building form, for, you know, so that it's uh, highly efficient. You can yeah. optimize your window size so it's highly efficient, but there's no love left in it. Yeah. There's no, none of the other, another. Uh, the, the pursuit of the targets, uh, you know, in, uh, abstract, abstracted from any other concern. Uh, yeah, it can, can be detrimental, I think. I you know, if we can shoehorn yourself into a corner very quickly. This is something we touched on last week with uh, Bill Bordas and Adrian Lehman about how quality of life is something that is often omitted from uh, how we appraise buildings and materials and strategies and how quality of life is different for different people. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you, you consider your, your, you know, your comfort criteria and your PPDs and whether someone is miserable for other reasons other than cold. And I think you'd probably get uh, quite interesting results if you had a lot of miserable people giving you answers to comfort levels inside the room. When oh, if you're actually asking that question, though, right? Mm-hmm. That's that's the first thing, you know, uh, uh, actually to bother to ask users uh, uh, for their opinion, to, you know, uh, to debase yourself to do that. Yeah, but <laughs> like to debase yourself to actually engage with them. Like, yeah. that's a thing that's so often omitted. Like, you're absolutely right. The The... This is why I love TripAdvisor reviews, like restaurant reviews. Mm. I go straight to the one stars because if you can eliminate all the bad food from the one stars, usually it's I went and they wouldn't give me a table or I went and it wasn't what I was expecting. I went and I had a terrible date and I never saw her again. It's very (laughs) rarely like, uh, oh, no, the food was appalling. The health and safety standards are all eye-centric, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, like yeah. Going to a Sichuan restaurant and like this isn't like the Cantonese food I get from my ch- Chinese takeaway around the corner. There this is yeah. totally different. Yeah, <laughs> can be good. No yeah. chips. Yeah, yeah. Straight yeah. up. Yeah, it is different. Yeah. Goodbye. Yeah. There you go. Yeah, so there are other. Yeah, there's so many other sensory things that aren't necessarily entirely energy based. Yeah. You know? Well, I mean, this segues. Uh, quite naturally, if we should, should we start? Should, should we start by introducing John? Would that be a good idea? Yeah, yeah, off, yeah. off you go. Yeah, yeah, go on, Jeff. Yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, today we are joined by John Moorhead, who I am lucky to count as a friend and colleague uh, through uh, 
he's a fellow board member of the Passive House Association of Ireland and uh, a distinguished kind of architect and Passive House designer. John is a very interesting character in that he um uh, he kind of act, he he sits at this interface between architecture, you know, that, that architects can get excited about and uh anarchy stuff it's it's the combination i just i describe it as the the, the polo neck and the anorak you know it's that that, that kind of mix um, <laughs> um and um and it's a rare thing you know you need both <laughs> i'm talking proverbially john yeah, yeah. and um, john for the record had his uh his head in his hands there in just description <laughs> well, the have been in fashion actually for or they were at least comparatively recently jeff um, yeah, i think you yeah. can keep your trap shut on fashion <laughs> Um, but uh, we're thrilled to have you, to have you, John, to, to, today. I, I think that um, you know, uh, I really kind of value your the balance that you're achieving. But you know, the, the, the insight that you bring technically as well, and the expert witness work you do. I know we don't want to talk. We can't really talk about that so much today. We need to, to maybe come back to that for a separate podcast because um, obviously there are sensitivities uh, with, with 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 that kind of work. Um, but thank you so much for joining us. Delighted to be here. See if you say that in an Yeah. See if you're still saying that in an time. I'm sure I will. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, today's episode, uh, Jeff and I were talking about. So yesterday, Jeff and I were talking about what we wanted to do the episode, the next episode about, and one of the things that Jeff didn't get to address last week was the arbitrary figures that are attached to the analysis of an asset's performance, like a housing asset's performance, with specific regard to the assumptions made about space heating and the the various needs, which, yeah. I mean, it's a right old bloody... In fact, Jeff, do you want to explain uh, what well, your... Well, yeah, uh, where this comes from. So we have, obviously, EPCs in the UK and building energy ratings in Ireland um, as our national uh, uh, energy performance uh, calculation energy ratings and, and there's calculation tools underpinning that which generate them um and um what prompted me to, to think of speaking to john today was that um a couple of years ago john um flagged an, uh, an en standard uh that had very different thermal comfort assumptions in this i know that we'll have to try and talk about this in a way that's not going to send people to sleep um because mm. it's a fascinating subject when handled right basically there's been a lot of stories coming out recently about uh, energy ratings, uh, uh, buildings with, with, uh, with you know, there was a piece in the Times a week ago or so um, about energy ratings for buildings being uh, bearing no resemblance to their actual usage. Um, and uh, one of the one of the findings that I was, I mean, I was completely unsurprised by this from 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 everything that I've 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 kind of accumulated over the years. Um, um, but when it comes to low energy buildings, um, what John had flagged to me a couple of years ago was was uh, was that the thermal comfort assumptions uh, in like an A rated or a B rated building, for instance, are the same as they are for like a G rated building, and they're miserly. Um, so uh, it, that that was, I suppose, where where, where I, we kind of wanted to, wanted to lead. You know, if if we're assuming discomfort in a building uh you know in terms of a a, a low energy building um a notionally low energy building then we're bound to fail right mm. yeah this was uh i think it was because the incoming nzeb at the time was flagging this is the nearly zero energy building standard yeah in uh, ireland and where they were you know we've had quite a few incremental improvements and i have to say they have been improvements in the 
building break standards in Ireland, um, which are now you know getting up to hazardous levels of performance in some areas. Yeah, uh, for heat loss elements anyway. But it was the it was the comfort standards that were flagged in that in that probably one six seven nine eight. Yeah, standard yeah. I, I stumbled upon. Yeah, thank and, you for that uh, tip. Yeah, yeah, uh, and uh, Dan, uh, Jeff, and myself are there. We, we have chats every now and again about things we do stumble upon, uh, which are end up being very useful discussions, uh, where we can just just shake the trees and see what's coming. Uh, in these standards or what the implications of them might be. But it was going on when COVID had just started uh, and we were all suddenly working from home. And some of us were working from, you know, sitting on a chair in a, a house with a 1965 concrete slab uh, with no insulation below the slab and maybe maybe 1.2 metres or four feet of insulation around the perimeter, you know, weenie, weenie, 25 millimetres. yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and suddenly finding that you know you're sitting you're sitting stationary, and you're getting really cold after your day's work at home. And we weren't the only ones who were feeling that. Everyone was starting to feel it. But what was really worrying was people who were in um, so-called you know energy efficient or A-rated homes. They were also frozen, and that sort of started ringing alarm bells and said, "Why are they frozen?" Well, of course they had their PV, which got their rating, or their renewables were contributing towards their rating, but they still have uh, had pretty mediocre levels of energy performance or heat loss elements in ceilings or in the attic that they were working in, working from the attic room. And uh, I know, uh, I mean, you talk Feng Shui, and people might sort of think you're for the birds, but if you mention radiant asymmetry, they really think you're half mad. You know? <laughs> they don't know what that is because the only way of measuring temperature in a room is the thermostat. Generally, well, this is this is it, yeah, and that that's yeah. that's aligned with with the, the methodologies. Um, I mean, even even PHP, the pacifist ones, uh, the, uh, is like this too, is in the sense that they only deal with uh, with air temperatures, don't they? Yeah, effectively. Um, and like on the pacifist thing, which I say, I, we've been very lucky in some ways and unlucky in others. Uh, now that we've got out of the places, we can really realize how lucky we are. We were in a in a award winning office development uh, out, outside the city. Um, for many years, it suited us location-wise. We did a few significant jobs, you know, which were on the orbital route, and it was out on the orbital route. And uh, we were frozen to death. And I'd never come across discomfort in an office environment to the extent that productivity was dropping significantly and people were miserable. Uh-huh. And this had, you know, a million quids worth of gear on the roof. It was all the big boys involved in the design. When was it built, John? Uh, I think around 2002, oh, okay. 2000, maybe thereabouts. Uh, but it was the really classic. bad time then. <laughs> a really bad time, but with a lot of bling and a lot of, uh, you know, it was a high tech building. It was being sold as that. Um, and, so, uh, so this is Celtic Tiger construction. Yeah, uh, but with with you know so-called innovative systems, you know where they were, um, you know floor heating and stuff like that, where you were blowing warm air into the floor zone and had vents coming up, heating you apparently. Okay. Did, that, did that sell um, it to you in the first place, John? Was that part of the reason? Was that a, that's a how we got involved? And that that really focused us on on what was what in God's name is going on, you know, or how how can things be so bad? In that yeah. particular case, we found that they were blowing. Heating air up on a roof with massive plant equipment and stuff, driving it down three floors down through these ducts, 
having a heater battery then below the floor in this raised floor zone with these pop-ups that, of course, were never in the right place, you know, where the air was coming up and stuck under a piece of furniture or whatever. <laughs> and it turned out, transpired, that the floor wasn't insulated. So they were blowing the warm air post-heated across a cold floor and up she came and you were getting 11 degrees cold air across your legs, you know. So uh, everyone was miserable, but also the walls were leaking. They were cold. And it got us into this whole zone of being very, you know, of comfort to wear, I would say. And what in God's name was going on? And we 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 found the standards were very poor in Ireland. You know, you did the Offices Act. And, you know, where do you deal with comfort back in 2002? And things started opening up. The Canadians were good at Various people seemed to be good at doing this sort of thing. And we were able to have a meaningful discussion to try to get the thing resolved. I have to say, we never got it fully result. But what it did do is it got us into, while we were working on our low energy buildings and got into the passive house area, say in 2009, it started focusing us on infrared and radiant asymmetry because they were talking about things like that in passive house. They were aware of all of these things and uh, surface temperatures. And But I still had a, I had a concern about even with passive house, you know, everyone at 20 degrees, that doesn't work. You know, some people will want to be at 21 degrees or some people want to be at 18 degrees. Everyone isn't the same. And it was quite hard to understand how that, you know, how to achieve that. And yes, you'd be, you'd go down to, uh, tell the story many times, you'd go down to places like Glandor on the south coast. And Dan, you know, here in, in, in April, in fact, all year round, I would be seen in a pair of shorts cycling. But in April, everyone's having a pint of Guinness uh, at 11 degrees inside of the road outside a pub if the sun's up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so we started looking at the sun is obviously a huge impact on this and why, was, why you can do that and start getting into radiant symmetry and use of ceramics and how we could actually heat the people in these passive houses who were cold at 20 degrees. Can you can you, can you explain what you mean by just for 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 listeners who will never have heard of radiant asymmetry before? What what precisely that is? And I mean, get as basic as radiant heat because like it was a relatively new concept to me when Andy Mitchell, a green building store, explained it to me. One yeah. one I've experienced plenty, but uh, I'd never heard it described in those terms. Yeah, I, I think it's two different. Say uh, radiant temperature of a wall uh, and how you you actually lose heat to another surface. We're all operating at 36 and a half degrees or 37 degrees. And if there's a wall surface at say 10 degrees, there's a big delta T between the two of you and you're losing from your face and from your, you're emitting energy to that surface. It's not, you're not absorbing the cold out, you're losing energy to it. And uh, that would be compensated if you've got a nice bit of sun coming in through the window, you wouldn't notice it as much because the sun, you know, the solar radiation, is another form of infrared that comes in and would compensate for the losses that you might be losing to the walls or to the environment around you. Uh, so it's it's primarily it's 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 a, a different surface temperature to what the ambient would be. That would be where the radiant it could be heat too. You could have a radiant hot surface. You could have like we have here, you know, an infrared panel that is hotter than the surrounding surfaces, and that is that we are absorbing energy through. You know, some of us have less hair than more, so it's more efficient. Uh, we absorb that energy very, very satisfactorily. And it gets into your cardiovascular system and you distribute the heat around you. Whereas with air, we're covered in layers of fat. We don't actually absorb the heat from air as efficiently at all. And uh, we had a, a really good uh, PhD student did 
uh, Suzanne Tamer, or if it was not Suzanne Tamer. Gosh, I'll have to get the name for you and get that right. And the missing reference here, uh, John's just emailed it to me. Hi, Dan. The thesis was human thermoregulatory response to infrared radiant heating by Michelle Tannum, T-A-N-N-A-M, 2012. There you go. Um, she did a project when we were looking at using ceramics to heat um, uh, in, in passive houses to give, you know, individual comfort. Uh, did a really interesting thesis on uh, heating people using infrared radiant heating, like you get for, you know, simulation from the sun, which is a particular micron, compared to moving them into a warm room if they were already cold. And it was fascinating with, you know, very small emitter, they were able to get the whole body temperature back up within minutes. Whereas if you move them into a warm room and they were cold, they could take hours before they'd warm up. You know, yes. so that was the, it was really interesting. And there's a guy, Robert Bean, who, healthyheating.com, who I must say, uh, was very forthcoming with calculations and, uh, and intellect as well. Heavily involved in the Amer American building service. Yeah, he would have been. And in fact, he came over here, Jeff, do you remember a few years back? Yeah. Four years ago, gave a really good lecture in a pub in an evening. Really yeah. interesting guy. Um, where comfort, 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 and how how uh, he was just identifying that this, you know, this um, thermostat in the wall does not guarantee comfort. And at the moment, what's interesting is, you know, with the with the um, Ukrainian crisis and the oil crisis and the energy costs. Yeah, there's a lot of advice out there to turn down your thermostat by one degree, which has a significant impact on heat loss, but it'll have a significant impact on discomfort in certain homes, mm. where you know the, that heat in that room isn't getting back into the surfaces of the walls. So the wall surface is going to drop, drop, drop. And you get more radiant to symmetry and you get more cold and then you have condensation as well. So yeah. it's, uh, they're all interlinked. It's just, it's it's like, say, looking through your infrared camera, you suddenly see things in a completely different light. I think Absolutely. accepting that radiant asymmetry exists in your overall thermal comfort. And, and just radiant asymmetry, I mean, you, you've talked about scenarios mm -hmm. before where you, you might have different insulation levels in two surfaces, you know, yes. uh, like, a, 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 I don't know, a ceiling. The ceiling. Yeah. yeah, and um, even if one is, even if they're both comparatively good, but there's a big difference in them. Um, yeah. One is especially good. Um, that that can cause uh, radiant dysymmetry and discomfort. Yeah. So, so does that mean one surface will be leaching heat from the other, while both surfaces leach heat from your face? Yeah, it depends if there's a bridge between the two of them. Obviously, they would leach. They'd equalize somewhat in, at the connection, but. What, what it would do is you will be losing more energy to one surface than to the other, which will create this discomfort level in your losses. And you will feel, you know, this perception that there's a draft in the room. People have, but there's no air movement. You can have, yeah, yeah. there's no draft here. Oh, there is, I can feel the draft. That's usually radiant asymmetry. I uh, I had an experience of that, uh, uh, an indoor festival. It was uh, the the second Quim festival from Eutrophia, Jeff. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Where There's a friend who's uh, who's uh, who organizes uh, kind of a his own uh, yeah music festivals for friends. Great fun. Uh, yeah, years yeah. ago, years yeah. ago. Yeah. The first one they did in uh, some fields in Wales that was a nightmare to get to. I never made Amazing. it. And yeah. The second one was in uh, back when you could get light industrial space for artists in London. They had this yeah. sort of uh, mm. 
light industrial space, which was for rehearsal rooms, which mm. we put exhibitions on in, all sorts of stuff. And this one was they transplanted the the Welsh Festival indoors into this this space in London. So people were camping on a concrete floor and they set up campfires and had birds hanging from the, the ceiling and bands and all sorts of stuff going on all around for two, three days. That was a condemned building, wasn't it? No, no, that was a different one. <laughs> but they moved out of that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah no, squash that, and sounds. Yeah. <laughs> that was the second building. Uh, it eventually got turned into luxury flats. Of uh, course, yeah. I think a, a, a Galliford Try development eventually. Mm. Um, tedious uh, flats. You can pass by it on the DLR nowadays. Mm. Um, and they set up it in the corner of a passageway going from one space to the other. They had a little campfire set up with cushions around it. And it wasn't really a campfire. It was like a, a little sculpture that looked like a campfire. But if you were sat with your back to the corner, with your back to the wall, uh, you just felt like you were in a room. But if you were sat with your back to the corridor where there was a through draft, the, the front of you was like just room temperature and your back was suffering this draft. So it felt like you were sat in front of an actual campfire because <laughs> your front was warmer than behind. Yes. Yes. Um, yes. And yeah. because you had an actual campfire looking thing in front of you, it was yeah, yeah, a yeah. really peculiar experience. <laughs> wow. Yeah. No, but it can be uh, exhausting, you know, it's, it's it, because your, your system is trying to balance out that temperature. It's trying to, you know, redistribute or evenly distribute the heat that's available to you within your overall cardiovascular system so it's uh yeah it's it can be tiring and it, it's it can be uh debilitating i have to say that john one thing that's important to kind of emphasize here um i i'm fearful of people taking uh, listening to like a bit of this podcast for instance and taking a uh, conclusion uh, a firm conclusion one way or the other um i raised uh some of the points that you um, you mentioned to me recently about uh, about uh, infrared heating, um, uh, and we, we should get onto that in a little more detail in a second. Um, with uh, with someone I know in um, in a building standard section of 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 a uh, of, of you know of uh, a government department. Well, you can put mm-hmm. department. Um, uh, the the point was well that's fine for for John Moorhead who yeah. knows what he's doing you know um, mm. but if you put this into the hands of people who uh, you know who don't um, who aren't really uh, who haven't got a, a kind of mastery of of the detail um, there's risk in other in other words you know I can see people thinking well that's great so we just have m- lots of massive windows for instance and we'll get lots of lots of uh, of, of infrared you know lots of sun uh, people be warming from the but it's not as simple as that there's a no very because you balance well you'll end up with lots of overheating you know works yeah. both ways uh, yeah it's just I think there's a balance I think I think you need to have a reasonable ambient or ambulant temperature in the room or ambient I suppose the word uh, and then you can tune it more efficiently using infrared i would say uh we've we, we've we've a basket case of a you know 1770s office with single glazing you know it's the shoemaker shoes situation here uh and the studio was there was no way during covid we could heat it because okay. we wanted to keep our ppm down around 600 because that seemed to be the way to be to oh, avoid yeah, that's, that's, you, know, that's, uh, you mean just uh, most people won't know i'd say at this stage but you mean oh. the, the parts per million of co2 in the yeah. air it's yeah. a good indicator of what the and air quality is. Kind of yeah, and well, four hundred and something the outdoor. Yeah. yeah, so it would be very low, but it would give an indicator of how many times that air has been through people and been regurgitated. Yeah, uh, to put it crudely, 
Uh, so we had that, and then, which is very difficult to heat that air if you're throwing it out, if you've got through, in, through drafts through the office. So we said, right, we'll go back to our, something we had learned, you know, 10 years previously about using infrared. We would heat the people rather than the building. Try and keep, you know, some level of uh, ambient heat, which is about 14, 15 degrees background heat, but have infrared over all the studio areas. And, so you have uh, like uh, rods on at the same time. We have one one convector. You okay. Know, which is uh, okay. in this main studio, which is two and a half kilowatts. And then in say the other areas, you might you might turn on if it was Baltic, you might turn a fan heater. But the minute you open the window, it's all gone. It just goes straight through because right. we have cross ventilation. Yeah. And then we put in a little heat recovery unit built into a window um, to maintain airflow consistently. Uh, and that would have worked out fine. And we had three instances of people coming in with COVID, you know, suddenly ringing that night, having done their test. Jeez, I'm really sorry, John, I've been in the office and I have, I'm, I'm positive. But we had no transmittance, you know, amongst the eight or nine people in the office, which I found very interesting. Well, it's, it's an airborne virus, so, you know. Yeah, it's so, an airborne virus, um, airflow, so we diluted that by the, you know, with the good PPM or the, you know, the, the good air quality. And then I don't know whether, they, because it's 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 in effectively in a fat globule, I understand, you know, the virus itself, whether the infrared was impacting upon that compared mm. to just having warm air. Mm. I don't know. And uh, but But the bottom line is people can... Operate like I'm in here at the minute with just an infrared heater, uh, and it's I don't know what it's just three degrees outside. So three am degrees. I right in understanding that you've you've focused on vent in terms of like the building's health for its own sake uh, yeah. and the the occupants? You've focused on ventilation, uh, not as a primary, but you've focused on that heavily and to mitigate the heat loss that would come through ventilating an old building properly. You're using infrared. Heating to heat the people, not the space. That's beautifully put, Jeff, isn't it? How can you do that? Don't tell him that. He'd be insulted. That's what I do for a living. That's exactly, that's exactly what we did. Correct. Because we felt we couldn't, no, no amount of heating and no amount of money is going to heat the place if we've got that level of ventilation coming through. So you we need to be careful. Um, it's important to kind of qualify that that you're you're managing the uh, the surface temperatures to some point, right? And you're stopping. You know, you're trying to stop getting so you cold. Are, but you know, there's an interesting thing that happens. Your your um, your uh, humidity levels, because of the amount of air going through, are actually yeah. quite low as well. Yeah. You know, so that reduces the dew point to an extent. This is this is it because and, and no, warm, warm air holds more vapor, so the right. colder it gets, yeah, uh, the, the less and of warm, risk. Yeah. warm air will. You know, the heat losses through the fabric. Uh, where you know the warmer it is, the more heat loss you have through the fabric. So if you reduce that delta T, you you reduce the losses through the walls as well. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it's just it was interesting. It was an experiment. Um, we had no control over the building heating system, so we said we wouldn't get involved in it. We didn't use it. It was a oil or a gas fired boiler system down below with no localized control. So we said forget that, and uh, it's worked out really well. It's been a great success. Uh, and it's proven a lot of what we were thinking. It does sound it. The bit that makes me anxious in my uh, oh, ignorance, yeah. you know, mm. a little knowledge is a dangerous thing, as they say. Mm. Um, it is that I fear. All right. So you're in an old building. We're in lots of old buildings. I think when we had Nigel Griffith on the podcast, we talked about how, particularly in the UK, 
our buildings are built badly and they are built badly because they rely on cheap heating to one extent to keep them to keep the fabric itself healthy so do you not risk by not heating the building itself by not heating the walls do you not create a risk to the fabric in that instance yeah i think there's a, there's a zone that you will get into that you will but effectively what we've done is we've gone back to a lot of air changes and a fireplace which was infrared heat and so they worked yeah and okay. the buildings didn't fall down and we didn't have dry rot dry rot really kicked in when the rads came into these buildings yeah and the air temperatures went up and they were holding more humidity so we're going back to literally getting the old instead of the thermostat and the wall getting the ticker to decide how comfortable you are whether you need to take the heat off that emitter over our heads or not so it's um that's where where we've gone back to and it's, well, you, would you have any concerns I mean, you know i, I mean uh infrared is being there are some people who are selling it making kind of quite um yes you know, fanciful claims i think at times um, yeah i would uh, i uh, i absolutely would um and again that's where maybe you need to be cautious with it and that's where i think it's a complementary heating system rather than dedicated completely like the ideal would be which is infrared heating as well would be an underfloor heating system okay very low yeah you know with a heat pump and infrared to give everyone localized comfort Okay, and the point then is that, that through having this, you're able to run the heat pump at, at uh, you know, low temperature, very low temperatures, um, and uh, so you, so you get a lot of extra efficiency. It's the, the risk is the is the eco spiv coming along and saying, you know, this is your all, this is your your silver bullet solution, you know, um, and um, I'm always wary of that, you know. Um, yeah, absolutely. But I, I think silver bullets sometimes need to be worked a little bit. When you have a you know a particular criteria like say COVID, where you're pushing ridiculous amounts of air through and you can't heat it, like in a school, for instance, it would yeah. work very well, yeah. you know. Um, and that's where I think the underfloor heating, say if you had underfloor heating in a school, you could probably push much more um if it was running at a reasonable temperature, much more uh, air through than if you were con- using convectors or radiators. Yeah. And keep the kids or uh, the students comfortable. Well, the positioning of the panels is critical as well, isn't it? I remember um, it was, uh, Kirsten McGuire, a Scottish architect, who I think was, I think she did the the, the passive house design course with you in Strathclyde, if I recall, uh, John. Yeah. Um, she she said that she she because she has them in her own house, and I think she said she said that um uh, place positioning of the panels she is really critical. Oh, totally. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I I thought when I went looking at the panels back in two thousand nine two thousand ten, I thought we'd be able to get like lux levels or the equivalent of lux levels. You know, mm. for in- infrared spread, right? And lux uh, is, uh, is light. That's, light, uh, yeah. Lux would be or lumens. You know, be a measurement of light spread. Uh, and I, to my absolute, I was incredulous that the manufacturers even they had not got a piece of kit for doing that. And that <laughs> ended up when we went digging and we got involved in a crew. Was a Tony Robinson and those guys in Trinity and Ceramics down West Cork. They took that on then as a project uh, and ended up um, building a rig that was able to work out the proper distribution of uh, infrared uh, panels, which was that was an interesting, interesting thing in itself. So, you know? yeah, yeah, well, it sounds it like uh, to building nerds. Yes, definitely interesting. <laughs> um, but what we've not said explicitly here is like, so we've got solutions that sound a bit like magic. And they are a bit like magic. You know, infrared heating, it's heat out of nowhere with no visible source, if you like. Um, 
what we haven't talked about is the effort that needs to be put into systems design to make all these bits work together. Because it sounds really simple. Like in all in all the worldly terms, uh, the systems design was big leaky house, big fireplace, air change through the fireplace, which is always going to be on because it's always going to be cooking, heating, something. Mm. Mm. Like it was, you know, I, I won't get into the Industrial Revolution. I'll avoid that for now. Um, like that system, the bit they were built to that standard, and standards haven't changed an awful lot since. Even in your contemporary wimpy homes, you know, leaky, drafty, cheap heat, keep it on all the time. But you're suggesting something quite sophisticated and quite different in terms of systems design. Not build it badly, heat it lots, heat it effectively, efficiently, ventilate it effectively and efficiently. Yeah, I think folks would be, um, maybe there's too much focus on working on what's going on in the building and maybe it should be more focused on the inhab- people inhabiting the buildings, the yeah. users. Uh, I think that's maybe where where I'm coming from. Oh, 100%. You know? Straight um, on board. Yeah, uh, whereas we would be, for all new buildings and, and re- retrofits, it's all fabric first, not having leaky buildings, have things controlled as we were discussing earlier, yeah. measurable. Uh, have the air tightness down to below 0.6 uh, air changes in 50. Uh, do that and uh, work from there. But just for tweaking things and for realizing that you know cer- certain people are different, and we've won, we've won passive house that meets all the criteria, uh, has a very large, uh, and I know one person will be livid with me, uh, but huge glass areas looking to the north. Uh, because the view is wonderful and yeah. uh, ultimately you know we they're passive house informed but it'll be passive house certified it works but those sorts of buildings need to be handled very carefully that you have a method of keeping the person comfortable and having the love or the view or the aesthetic that uh, is you know also uh, important in the overall delivery uh, and for these you know for the person's experience of being in that building there are times that uh, sitting up against your you know your 0.82 u value wall your surface temperatures are low but at least with passive house there they're going to be constrained you're not going to have the radiant asymmetry or the difference of temperature greater than four degrees or 3.6 i think is what they would recommend this is it. I mean, you know, what we're talking about here, I'm delighted that you're talking about users. Um, and, um, you know, Passive House, like uh, EPCs and BERs, you know, uh, or, uh, the software underpinning in all, in, in all cases, it is an asset rating. Obviously, I suppose our sense is that that it it's it's it, it it creates far fewer opportunities for things to go wrong because it's such a tight constraint on on how you can build them on on the thermal performance specifications and on the quality assurance of how it's built through it. So there's all of that, right? Um, but um, this point about uh, an asset rating whereby uh, you're making standardized assumptions about your occupants um, and uh, from a designer's perspective, you know, not taking account of uh, the needs of particular occupants, that, uh, that, that, uh, that that's kind of where you're going with it, isn't it really, you know? It is, like for instance, um, again, and I, you know, there's much more in the world now than infrared antenna that or the rating teaching systems. But an interesting one that got my gall up was um, say inside near hospital, 
and your hospital ward that I think is kept at 27 degrees, which is, you know, probably very near a Petri dish for developing bugs. Uh, you have, you know, say, you know, an elderly person wrapped up in a duvet or in bedclothes with their head popped out, availing of this 27 degree temperature. You've got staff running around in a lather and uh, it just makes no sense. Whereas we could actually have it running at maybe 18 degrees with an infrared panel over that person's head in their hands, use their cardiovascular system rather than the, you know, the God knows where it's placed. It could be over a radiator. We know the thermostat and uh, good air quality in that ward. You could do that and reduce their bills fourfold, I think. You know, if you go from, say, 27 down to 18, you're talking massive savings in money. And I would say massive improvements in health as well. And everyone would be more comfortable. Um, there are things that you could achieve very easily. Do you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, now, on a similar note, um, so we, we have an article in the next issue, which is uh, the culmination of um, of uh, John pointing out this EN standard we referenced at the start of the, of the, the conversation um, a couple of years ago. And um, it's basically, it defines thermal comfort parameters for energy performance calculation methodology. So like for DEEP or SAP or PHP or whatever, these software tools. Um, and for the development, uh, when John flagged it to me, um, uh, we took one of his passive house designs um, and I asked him to uh, to put it into the national methodology in Ireland, DEEP. Um, mm. And what did we do? We brought the, spa- the, the fabric specs back, didn't we, to the backstop? We- we did um, brought the fabric specs to the backstop, and we also, I think we 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 messed with the living room area. Oh to yeah, get the temperatures into a certain zone because uh, the living room area is set at twenty one degrees, and all the rest of the house down in our methodology is set at eighty. Same thing with SAP in the UK, is yeah. yeah, yeah. So we tried to get it all up to twenty degrees because everyone's working from home. I think that was the theory at the time, anyway. And we were able to do that by adjusting the living area percentage into, you know, the, the, the software never intended it to do that, but we did it. And that set the, the overall temperature. But we found the surface, when you calculated your FRSIs and your surface temperatures and your, you know, with the new values at the backstop level, some of those surface temperatures were dropping down into ridiculous zones. I yeah, FRSIs, were, again, worth explaining to people. That's the difference between the, the internal temperature and the external temperature. This is required under the building regulations. In yeah, our- it's a requirement. Yeah. Yeah. There's a factor based FRSI you've got to when you ca- do your calculation. I think it works out at 0.75, which would give you a surface temperature of 15 degrees. Okay. Yeah. That's and, how it works. Okay. And and th- this is just to stop condensation from occurring on this on the surface. On the fabric. Yeah. yeah. And it's it's funny at the FRSI is uh is something that, you know, when you ask people, you know, what is the FRSI? And people look at you and they say, well, you know, you have to actually demonstrate this. It's a requirement, yeah. It is a requirement. This isn't, you know, some... No, no one pays nice any attention to, to it. Or, <laughs> or, you know, you can't use the defaults, lads, you know. Um, it usually causes a bit of a stir when you mention it, or you have to explain what it is. But didn't we also... Um, mm. uh, I, I remember this. Was, basically, what we did was, uh, the way I remember this, uh, was that we took the... The insulation levels, the thermal bridging, and the air tightness back to the minimum requirements for the nearly zero energy building standard in Ireland. Um, yeah. And we bought compliance basically with a large PV array. Yeah. Um, 
And then we looked at reducing the living area fraction. So in other words, having a, I think it was 10% or so of the of the floor area of the house being living room or kitchen, you know, basically, um, and the rest of it being bedrooms um, from memory. Um, and that brought the deep, the software was telling us what the temperature was in the heated areas. Basically, this is the, the point, deep in Ireland, and I've said this before on the podcast, and Dan's probably going to sleep now, um, deep assumes that you're heating the building for eight hours per day. Okay, to 21 degrees in the living area and 18 degrees in the rest of the house. Okay, and in this case, it was 10 percent of the of the floor area was living area. So that was like I don't know. It was 18 point something degrees. The the mean temperature between the two. If you're still if you're still awake, Dan, yeah. Hey, um, no, I'm yeah, following this. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then um, then for the 16 hours per day where it wasn't heated, uh, it tells you that too, and it was 15.57 degrees. Yeah. So what now, does that mean, Jeff? That's a cold house, um, and that's that's a that's a uh, cutting edge, nearly zero energy building uh, that people are going to expect to be a warm building. Yeah. Um, so it's yet another instance of houses being built to be bought and sold, not to be actually used. It's just, uh, it's just. Uh, um, look to, to SEAI's defence, uh, the, the authority that created these things, and. and um, uh, you know, following European Union uh, uh, guidance and, you know, on the back of a directive and so on. Um, they were always going to do an asset rating, really, um, uh, you know, realistically, I think. And and they've improved it in fairness to them over the years. They ha- It has, deep is getting better and better. Um, but uh, the, the idea of making these kinds of standardized assumptions, and first of all, I think it's, it's a miserable assumption. And it might be realistic if it's like a young professional couple i hate that term but um young professional couple um who are both working um during the day and and you know in an office rather than at home you know um and uh, so, uh, so they they may not be wanting to heat the building particularly well but you don't know what your occupants are going to be like if it's got a stay-at-home parent with a kid if it's got a an elderly person or somebody you know a carer with somebody with disabilities um and that's what this en standard which is a voluntary standard to be fair um is trying to tackle it's trying to say you know it's setting much much stricter yeah. uh, comfort levels um Do you remember we found the berkeley.edu tool Oh yeah, it's a very good tool that you could literally fiddle with the numbers, on, uh, you know, on a slider, uh, yeah. to see how it was uh, qualifying. We were at eighteen and a half degrees ambient, and the surface temperature we worked out generally the average surface temperature or the mean radiant temperature was sixteen and a half. That's what it, that's what we were getting into, and we were we weren't even meeting the category four, which is barely acceptable for refurb level that's the temporary building standard correct Uh, yeah you know um whereas what you were talking about you know say the elderly care or the carer or someone someone incapacitated or or unwell uh, their category one they would have been they need to uh, for that in a different scale the standard says for those people the building needs to be um 21 degrees um for basically all of the the internal floor area, all of the the area except for like utilities and storage um for i think 94 percent or so i think it is of the hours um 24 7 uh, but 94 percent of the year you're allowed to yeah. decrease in a very very small amount so that that's a night and day that looks passive house would struggle with that even you know it would, yeah. and, it would. and with the backstop levels that they were using Again, because they're relying on offsetting with renewables so much, you know, you can buy your asset rate yeah. with your renewables. And the problem is, yeah, that's fine. But there you are at night with your renewables doing sweet nothing and you can't heat the house. 
you can't get up to those levels of comfort. And that's the reality of it. And you're working from home. Yeah. You know, and that's where I think uh, the standards need to cut themselves on a little bit and not allow this buyout. They need to get, if you've got fabric first, the renewables can be used by all means. Yeah. And they can be used for a lot of other beneficial things rather than just heating a house, which is a very simple thing to do. We know how to do it, let's face it. Yeah. Well, once again, we know what all the answers are. Yeah. Like, there, there are some new technologies and some actual innovations which might might be new that we can apply. But, I mean, broadly, the biggest disruptor is energy prices at the moment. Um, mm. That's the only thing that's actually disrupted anything for God knows how many years. Mm. It's interesting talking about uh, the standards that people have to build to. Because this is where Jeff and I were arguing last week. House builders in particular and commercial builders, they want to build to the lowest standard possible. Like they need to be held to the fire because they ain't going to do it themselves. And that's where I really feel like all these standards, they fall down so badly that really people need to create their own standards. Like for individual dwellings, uh, for blocks with units in, that's the bit I'm stuck on, and yeah. I don't know how one well, might go about it. Well, what's sad is there, you know, you say NZIP, and people are saying, oh, all these new houses are going to meet NZIP standards. But like NZIP is the absolute backstop of the base level that you're allowed to actually deliver at. It is the lowest common denominator that you will actually meet code. Yeah. There's no future proofing. Yeah. Whereas, say, the houses, the passive houses that would have been done in 2009, 2010. They're weathering the storm very nicely with all this energy, uh, in you know, the energy cost increases that they've been exposed to. They're resilient to that. And let's face it, if we were building Goldsmith everywhere for all our social housing or to that sort of standard, this is the sterling prize winning yeah, scheme. Yeah, you know, um, not only do you get good quality bills, like let's face it, the old social houses, you know, from the 20s and 30s were all very well built. Yeah. Uh, you get really good quality build, but you also get very good performance. And um, it just seems inexcusable that we will, well, in Ireland, we prefer to pay fines for not meeting targets. It seems to be the modus operandi at every level. We tend to be 26th or 27th in carbon footprint and everything else. But in the UK, they, they just pull themselves out of any international agreements. In the UK, they pull themselves out of any of them. And then, uh, and, and here we are, like with, with the crisis out there now where it's exposed and we know what the answers are. But we'll do, like, say, sink two and a half billion into fixing the buildings that, you know, the fire issues, Jeff, in this country, quite yeah. happily, which hardly got a squeak in the in, 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 in cars or in any discussion on the news or anything else. I was amazed how quietly that just got dribbled through. Whereas if we put that into building our houses properly, yeah, we would have this resilience and then we wouldn't be having this discussion. We could get our energy demand sort of reduced massively. Yeah. There's definitely a kind of a penny rich, pound foolish uh, thing going on with our approach to to, to construction. You know, really uh, sad. And, well, you know, in a country with the highest, I think we've got the highest asthma levels in Europe, in the it, windiest place in Europe. Yeah. <laughs> it's the same everywhere, though. I mean, right enough, you're, you're number one when it comes to asthma. No one can take that away from you. Uh, but no one wants to. It's it's cheaper to do a bad job because. I mean, uh, I'll be quite reductive now. If the measure of success internationally is GDP, then doing bad work 
is much better for GDP than doing the job once. If you've got to carry out remediation work regularly, like that's excellent for GDP. In the same way, cancer is magnificent for GDP. Car crashes, oh, brilliant. Earthquakes, presumably, well, no, maybe not an earthquake. That might be too destructive. But localized uh, <laughs> disruption. I mean, that's that's probably perhaps where uh, disruption as a term makes the most sense. They never actually change anything. They just find ways to extract more money out of it. Uber disrupted taxis. Same service, except everyone else gets less money. See, the thing is, that the problem I have with with that line of thinking is that um, uh, when people talk about you know, uh, short term uh, thinking in, in, you know, the ne- next quarter results or whatever. Um, if we were to be planning stuff like investing in in, in deep retrofit or whatever, um, it it would mean it, it, it should feed into that kind of mindset because you're talking about stimulus now. And and, and if it means that it, that, that it generates less economic activity in the long run, well, who cares about that? Certainly the politicians won't care about that or the CEOs won't be caring about that. Well, they, they're, they're thinking about short-term gains, right? Mm. Um, so we met I was at Best a while back, me and Alex, to talk about... Uh, the Scottish... Uh, what do you call them? A quango or... Uh, what they used quango? to be Construction Scotland Innovation Centre. Now they're Built Environment, Smarter Transformation. So yeah. they they promote innovation and education all over. Like they're amazing. They're doing work with you guys over the the, the massive retrofit campaign. Mm. And so we were talking about how uh, low carbon learning, as it was at that point, like a, a, an educational program that they were offering as a, a service to all sorts of different organisations within the built environment. So academic students and architects, people who work on site. Like this program was helping people get a handle on the incoming requirements, what's going to be required of the future. And while the market is just burgeoning, it is a nascent industry, it is a pipeline of 30 years work. Now, if you offer a 30-year pipeline of work to industry, normally they'll get involved and get set up. They will dive in. But the way things tend to be organized in the UK is uh, funding is seasonal, closed-ended, and chaotic so people don't want to invest so we were talking with a an irish retrofit outfit who had set up got past 2035 accredited tried to get involved in the uk but because of uh funding and poor building standards like a a penny pinching eye on cost and not value Mm. They saw no point in them competing in this market. Mm. They invested all the money, upstakes went on, gave up because there's no point. Like when you face those sorts of problems, it just leaves it open to your low carbon spivs. They don't yeah. even have to be eco spivs. They don't have to profess any interest in the the wider goals. Just say low carbon energy energy efficiency, and then they're on the way. Mm. You know, it's like drive tarmacking or whatever. Yeah, we had that with uh, who was it, that Austrian company who set up and spent a significant amount of money on a factory over here to produce um, closed wall construction mm-hmm. uh, based on the model that was so successful over there and had been successful being delivered here. But again, once it, once it got diluted here to the lowest common denominator, that was it. They pulled, 
unfortunately. Well, that's standards a, weren't being rolled out. They probably took encouragement. If they, somebody, um, I, I know, I know what you're talking about. I'm sure they took encouragement from the, from the growth of timber frame at the time during the Celtic Tiger years. But the problem is, people weren't building timber frame uh, because of its uh, of its energy performance quality at the time. They were building it because you could build them fast, you know, right. and, and and because they were having difficulties getting lock layers and so on. Just, yeah. to, I want to take things in another direction because it's something, there's a, a point that that um, stitches more into. Um, the, the energy performance stuff, which I think is that is fascinating, um, and it's very pertinent in the context of today. Um, so um, it's Friday when we're recording this, and um, uh, Ireland is supposed to have been. I mean, Schnachta, which is the Irish word for snow, has been trending on Twitter um, because of the snowstorms, um, and I believe it's the same in the UK that you've had a lot, a lot of snow. I'm not sure, but um, I live in Dunleary on the coast. Um, on uh, uh, southeast of Dublin, um, and my wife is Australian. So she gets very excited. Like she, she, she's seen very little snow in her life. When she was, when she was, uh, she's from South Australia, Adelaide, and it snowed once in her childhood. There, she, uh, she got so excited that she, she, she put, she got a cup, put the snow in a cup, and kept it in the freezer for like a year. <laughs> <laughs> um, but um, you know. She sees sees very little snow here, um, and every time the forecast comes along, there's a great excitement that we're going to have snow, and you can see her eyes light up. And I keep on having to remind her it's not going to happen. That you know, last night it was a certainty that we were going to have snow supposedly here, and we got basically nothing. Um, and you are the same uh, in wh- where you are in in Cork, aren't you, John? And that yeah. yeah. Is a really important point, bearing in mind that we have a national calculation tool that assumes that every house in the country is on double, is is on the runway of Dublin Airport. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, we we've worked out even in say in, in Cork, which is a uh, is a huge area in itself, a huge county, massive. You know, it's quicker to get to Dublin to get, than to get to the far end of Cork, actually, from where I am. You're not going to do the typical court thing of, uh, you know, Ireland's true capital and all that, are you? No, I don't, I don't need to. I think we've won that battle. That doesn't need to be raised anymore. But uh, no, the variation in, in climate in this country is, uh, that was another fascination, I think, for me, for when we started out in the Passivals Walk, that uh, having studied in Dublin and lived many years in Dublin and in London and Germany and all over the place, uh, the difference in, in in climate that we have in say Cork to what you have in Dunleary is vast. It's massive. We don't break ice out of our boats in Cork very very rarely. Whereas we had to do it regularly when we were in Bolton Street in Dublin. Do you know? Right. Um, much colder, much crisper, much drier. Mm. Not as much sun, I would say. And uh, and then there are other areas where you know it's about from a Pascal's perspective, Dan. It's about forty five percent difference in annual heat demand for the same house if we move it from say Cork to Dublin. It's yeah. uh, it's quite significant, you know, depending on the house design now. But it's uh, that that means uh, you know because we have such a variety, um, it means that the buildings need to respond to that variety to optimize the use of materials to. To get the best energy uh, value out of them, and to avoid overheating, right? And to avoid overheating, um, and and like our way of avoiding overheating because we're so mild here, we're down where we are, is we just build in stack ventilation and let the place rip. You know that you allow the the cool air to come in at low level and let it out the top. And we don't yeah. have, you know, one building we have which is a very glassy building, and it's absolutely 
21 degrees all summer never varies. It doesn't go outside that zone. It's very self-regulating. Um, but you might be able to do that in a colder climate area. Mm. Yeah, well, I mean, this all, this all points to uh, an opportunity like for local expertise to thrive. When we start thinking in terms of energy efficiency and local areas, like local expertise, a local understanding of the climate and the needs, I mean, that's really valuable. Like yeah. it's something that the DRES guys have been capitalizing on, I believe, for, well, I mean, years now. They've made their name, or they are making their name further. So D-Res, a D-Res home becomes a brand in and of itself. Like, well, that's the dream for for the better developers out there. They do seem to be kind of, you know, wanting people to be, when they when they sell the house 10, 15 years after they buy it, to be advertising it as a, a, as a D-Res home or a Cosgrave home or whatever it might be, you know? Um, yeah. Um, I mean, that sort of thing takes time. Like the quality of the, the house my mum and dad live in in the Northwest. I mean, I'm looking at photos. Uh, I just got a series of notifications. I've been getting photos all morning of uh, my mum and dad's house where snow was in the street and it's now beginning to fade. But my sister lives up in Saddleworth in just outside of Manchester, Oldham Way, mm. in a, a village called Mosley. And it's, I mean, it's still fairly thick there, Deep. it seems, yeah. everywhere. Yeah. And here, it's just grey outside and it's been raining I mean, by the coast absolutely I, i'm not I, I i take your point on local expertise but what where i'm going with this too is that um john and it's a service that john actually offers um uh you can generate site-specific uh weather files um so john would be able to tell if i was designing a passive house here in delir if i ever won the lottery you know um uh john would be able to um he 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 would be able to give me a much more accurate uh uh set of conditions parameters for my building than you'd have within say the national methodology you know and same thing for the uk as well right so in terms of what our audience can take from this like the architects the asset managers the ops managers the maintenance people what do they need to be thinking about in terms of what they can do to mitigate these problems provide new thinking or new direction for uh, management. Again, I like to try and focus on value rather than short-term thinking. Yeah. I think if you optimize the design response to the local climate, for starters, like down in Valencia, I would argue that you should be maybe double glazing in still, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I actually would. Yeah. Uh, because the extra solar gain you get through it um, when you need it. And the lack of uh, it's so tempered down there, and that should be possible. The passive house software should should enable you to more or less to. to oh, absolutely! You know, you, know, yeah. you could adjust, you could adjust it down. Uh, you've got to. I think you'd have to discuss what the lowest you value they tolerate would be to get certification. Yeah, but um, the whole world isn't all about certification. You know, we're no. talking talking about uh, say optimizing building stock uh, rather than just perfection. I think you could down down in those areas. You you have a, a, a far easier stick to to hit yourself with to get you know to get your um, energy values or to get efficiencies. Then say if you were up north of Donegal somewhere or Newport, for instance, which is up on the west coast, which is on the far side of a hill, doesn't get much sun. Yeah, you will freeze to death. Uh, in comparison, you know. So why would you put the same same level of um, 
carbon, let's face it, into your buildings in those two places to achieve the same result. In terms of the embodied carbon, yeah, yeah. 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 You know? It's a very good point. So, But for that to work, um, so basically... Um, the uh, when a when a building is being planned or, or a retrofit is being planned, um, uh, you need you need to be designing it in a, in a calculation tool. Whether you're not plan, planning to build a passive or not, you need to be building it in a calculation tool that's capable of taking that data, right? Site specific data. You know, uh, if it's if the differences are as kind of profound as you're saying, you know, yeah. and presumably that's a, a comparatively inexpensive thing to do in terms of a totally it would be. I mean, I mean it could be. It, it can be a, a drop-in button that maybe the uh, you know the the asset rating tool that we use you just pick it they could hook up with MeteorNorm and uh, get that value dropped into the software from their location of the project. Right. Yeah. You know, uh, there's no reason why that can't be done. But it should. But it's important for people to understand that you know even within a very tight geographical uh, you know range. You could have uh, quite profound differences, couldn't you? Yeah, uh, you go say Landor in Cork, or you go Watergrass Hill, which is up the hill on the way up to Dublin uh, on that road. You know where it's, it's quite elevated. It's say ten or fifteen k inland, and what happens there is you end up getting a cumulus of cloud where the moist air from the coast hits the land, and the poor you know developing Watergrass Hill doesn't get to see much sun. Because right. his horizon is looking through, or his, his his eye line to the sun in the winter is looking through cloud, so they end up uh, having a you know quite a uh, reduced area of solar gain during the winter and much lower temperatures because of their elevation, and the buildings need to respond to that, um, uh, and the designers need to understand that they need to respond to it. So, and fundamentals to this response, then taking a step further back, is that. The standards we're working to should be exceeded as a matter of course. Mm. And the person or the, the the issue that we've not addressed here at the very end is users. What do people need? Like, how are you going to judge performance? Like, what is performance? Uh, you know, people need homes heated to different degrees, literally and figuratively. Yeah. Yeah, I uh, think the availability of monitoring equipment now is being delivered on an exponential basis and you're going to find most houses will have this within five years they'll have their monitoring they'll have their temperatures they'll have their external temperatures how much fuel they're using you know it's going to be gloves off they're going to see what's actually happening in some of these houses and that's why you need to build in resilience and go beyond as you said the base levels of well, and, and that's that's the point when you're talking about users um you know, uh, if you look at the likes of the ZN standard, which people can write about, can read about in, in our next issue, um, uh, even if even if it is a young professional couple who are who are in the house now, I mean, you look at all the housing estates. You know, I'm thinking around Dublin, but it's anywhere in in in, in the world. You know, um, where families uh, have been there 20, 30 years or more, they've grown old. You know, in there. Um, so you go through different phases of life in in buildings. You'll have different. You become a different kind of user. You know. Um, and uh, back to your eight hours a day argument. Yeah, yeah, and and just the elderly people who are who are at home more and who who uh, who who are not moving around as much and you don't have the the, the body mass and uh, the, don't have as much body fat or whatever. But you know, to, to, uh, so their they, metabolic they rate is lower. That's exactly it. Yeah. So they're, yeah. So they're needing they need a, a higher temperature. So you know, if you design these things in. 
for, for all buildings as you know as a, as a kind of baseline um uh you have the capacity to handle that whereas whereas if you don't um you know well, is, it, is it any different to the, and i know you, you your discussion on the bath <laughs> but oh, yeah. not having the facility to have a roll-in shower area in an elderly person's house yeah yeah uh, and when they need it it's a bit chaotic but if they're frozen to death and their funds are reducing because they're financing their extortionate heating bills because of the poor building envelope, that's yeah. just as serious. It's just it's a slower problem. It's not as evident. It's not as as violent, uh, uh, you know, sudden impact on their being as not being able to have a wash. But yeah. having this slow uh, dilution of funds. Yeah, for sure. That's Which I think people are really feeling, you know, the, the bills are in now and they're getting bills of, you know, 1500 2000 3000 a pop for their uh, heating bills that have just gone by. That's a real pain. And yeah. it's unnecessary. And yeah. it's not just unnecessary that's costing them a fortune. They're also going to be unwell and they're going to put more health, you know, strain on the whole health system and all the other stuff that goes together. We're not looking at any of this holistically. All the departments are siloized, and we saw how siloized the departments were when we were having an argument whether COVID was airborne or not. Yeah. I think that fairly flagged it, really. Yeah, I think that, that was the most disheartening thing to me when you have uh, scientists arguing, uh, siloing to stick to one form of science and, and ignoring uh, evidence from it because it was uh, from aerosol science, around, you know. Uh, it's just it was very disheartening, you know. Yeah. But you all right. Do? So the mm. the core advice then is it's well complicated. Yeah, get <laughs> an adequate building designer and do your research in terms of user and uh, geographical specificity, because relying on in Ireland the Dublin Airport standard is not going to be adequate. No. Um. Also, yeah. I think. Uh, just in terms of planning for the future, um, I don't know why I've been thinking about it this week, but it keeps coming up and keeps cropping up in my brain. Uh, along with that photo that Nathan Gamblin posted of three radiators in one room uh, against one wall. Um, but yeah, this is uh, about how... Uh, oh, it was when we were talking about hybrid heating. That was it. Oh, yeah. Uh, when you raised the issue that uh, the greatest demand... Is often not when it's coldest. It's when the the weather is at its worst. Well, when it's windy and um, and and yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so, and people feeling colder because it's windy. You know. Um, yeah. So the way we're set up to assess rating the asset in the first instance, it's all pissed because it's not going to perform in that way when it it's not going to perform at the the optimum standard when it is actually needed because our way of assessing it. In the first instance, is a bit, bit wrong. Yeah, yeah. And, there's, and there's not enough focus on, um, on on air tightness in the regulations. The standards are still very mediocre. They're worse, I think, in the UK, aren't they? They're, they they're are pretty yeah. abysmal here still. But that said, they've improved over the last ten years. Yeah, immeasurably. Um, here anyway. No, they have, and they have in the UK too, in fairness. But um, you still hear stories of the standing knife approach to air tightness in the UK, which I may have told you, where people are. Yeah. You have to change the ventilation spec if you get below a certain air tightness threshold. Yeah, yeah. we we were the same. Yeah. 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 So yeah. for anyone who doesn't remember Jeff's anecdote, that results in uh, labourers 
sticking a Stanley knife through uh during an air fightness test. Yeah. Just the slash just membranes. digging up a hole so that you yeah. don't have to put a mechanical ventilation system in, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So you've got your value of three or whatever it was or five over there, is it? Yeah. 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 Exactly. And then you have a lovely slash in your in your probably in your um in your airtight layer in the roof. Um and you've got a over, usually over in the bathroom or somewhere pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. There we go. Yeah. Look, that's that's yeah. great. I think we've we've got um we've covered an awful lot there. Thanks, oh, John. I think so, yeah. Fantastic. And we will have to have you on again. We have to find a way to get you to um to talk about um some of the horror stories without getting yourself in trouble. You know, the expert witness stuff, I think, is um, yeah. it, uh, in, 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 you're building pathology work, should we say, th- is, is, is fascinating, you know? Yeah, I think that would be a really good conversation because building physics is a spectre which seems to terrify all sorts of people. And I think your work as an expert witness, like what you are able to talk about and that sort of role is going to be really interesting to lots of people who uh, are responsible for building assets because you've <laughs> you're the sort of demon that could come to haunt them if well, they don't know what they're doing i don't mean that negatively well but I sort of luckily do. most of our work is called in to try to help people rather than cause havoc <laughs> uh, no what it does do is it shows that when people don't don't uh, do their frsi calcs or don't take the reg seriously and go for the defaults as we're going into you know a level of, uh, of of excellence in building envelopes, which we are, but there's a whole new dynamic uh, to do with uh, air and vapor control that needs to be completely understood, and it's it's not fully understood, mm. uh, and it could be easily understood. It should be disseminated more in industry out there as to what's actually going on, because that's where most of the problems have been caused. It's mm. every single one of them, I'd say, is going back to vapor control. Air and vapor control and uh, high performance buildings that are getting to the level that surface temperatures outside the heating envelope are, you know, because of their, the, the, the heating is or the energy is being entrapped within the, the building itself, where it's getting into these colder zones is causing absolute havoc. You know, in areas like today, say, up where you're looking out at your snow, uh, you might find a lovely brick building that's, you know, the brick te- surface temperatures at nine degrees in a leaky old house. That's fine. There's no damage being done there. Just lots of money being spent in, in, in heating the house. Uh-huh. Whereas the guy next door who's put in his dry lining, uh, uh-huh. being promoted by various unscrupulous dry lining suppliers, uh, his brickwork is down below freezing. And he's wondering why half of it's all over the foot bath. Yeah, the spalling is happening. Yeah, it's crumbling. You know, and that's they're the things that are happening or or why there's suddenly a load of moisture coming down through their roofs because the man was great. He put in extra insulation. We asked him to put it in, but he put it in the wrong place. So it's not out of malice sometimes. It's out of ignorance. Yeah. And next thing uh, you get your water, literally, you know, droplets of water forming and the, it's the new dry rot really. Yeah, that's what's what's happening. It's an awful lot of that, and it just proves you can simulate it, even down to an exact date with the climate work that we would do. We can get the exact date, simulate exactly what happened that week in that particular place, uh, and it matches what you can see. You know, when you open up in the <laughs> what a sight! Wow! Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, um, yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. If you can join us again to share. The yeah, I don't know how, how, we, can, how we can do that. It's just an awful shame. But the, but the real sad thing is an awful lot of it gets settled in some ways. 
outside, you know, it's not exposed. And you could end up with serial occurrences happening that we're all having to uh, fund through our PI. So in other words, it could be the same, same guilty Same crew involved. all the time could be, you know, um, and not necessarily because it's, it's sometimes taken out of their hands. They're not necessarily learning from the experience, I would say. Yeah, just Which to be clear good. as well, at no point did John make an ostentatious nod or wink there, confirming or denying it was he was absolutely poker faced. <laughs> Completely. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, but uh, th- thanks for having me on. Uh, no, thanks for talking to you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And we will we will we'll we'll find a way. We'll we'll get get a drink or two into you or something like that and encourage you to to uh <laughs> to get yourself in trouble, John. Yeah. yeah. No, I just love to. It'd be nice to get some of the information or the, the you know what's going wrong out there to save a, f- a few poor families the hell that can happen when it goes wrong and it's unnecessary. Yeah, yeah well, talk in terms of paradigm, yeah, uh, rather than specific yeah. Uh, yeah. locations. I think that could be. Yeah, really- I think so. I think so. I mean, you know, we could we could give examples of uh, of things we've found that might just trigger people to think mm, maybe I need to check that. Maybe yeah. you haven't used the right thing there. That'd be um, really interesting. Something that could be helpful. Yeah, we could do something on that. Brilliant. All right, well, um, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for your time. No, uh, nice to meet you, Dan. And great to chat again, Jeff. Yeah, yeah. Have you anything to plug, John, by the way? Books, papers, no. lectures. Not really. Practice. Way more head no, uh, We're, yeah. we're um, no, something I suppose we're very actively involved in is uh, promoting the whole, um, you know, the Masters in Energy Efficient Design and TUD, my old alma mater. Uh, and we have Shane in our offices involved in teaching there now as well. Uh, oh. I'm on the steering committee. And it's, uh, it's a Masters in Energy Efficient Design, which would focus on a lot of the things like hydrothermal analysis and the building physics behind delivering these buildings uh, get, get a new generation of building pathologists out there basically yeah yeah but also get get the the basic level of information out into the industry most mm. importantly you know that's that's uh we don't need pathology yeah to find yeah. The, you know to deal with the failures um <laughs> and also i think with the you know the new uh, modular forms of construction uh where we're rolling out hopefully we will be building a lot off-site in this particular climate, um, mm. that level of uh, knowledge is needed to mm. develop the systems efficient. You know that can be cost effective and uh, embodied carbon efficient as well to mm. deliver to deliver for the future. Excellent. So, we'll send us a link and we'll make sure yeah. it's in the show notes. No, that would be really good. Yeah. Brilliant. All right. All right. Well, thank you very much. Take care. Thanks for everything. Take care. Right. Nice weekend. Right. Cheers. Bye. Cheers. Bye. Bye. Bye now. And uh, thanks to everyone for listening. Um, it was great. Yeah. Um, all the usual things. So uh, toxic positivity, please, we beg you, give us a five-star review, please, <laughs> please. Um, and subscribe Passive House Plus if you don't already. Uh, take a look at the website if you aren't aware of it. Uh, if you're an advertiser, please advertise in it. Like it is excellent and it hangs around for a long time. What else? Join ACAN, join the ECB. Anything else, Jeff? Anything else you want to shout about? Talk talk to us about our consultancy as well. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We don't don't pick that up enough, do we? No. No. So we're doing a whole bunch of user research and messaging stuff at the moment, which is, I mean, obviously we can't talk about it here apart from the bits we drop in here and there, but if you need anything, just holler at us. Z-A-P at E-I-U-X dot agency. 
that's the corporate email address we're using at the, t- at the moment. Or you could email Jeff at passivehouseplus.ie. Uh, yeah, man. Yeah. Cool. Brilliant. All right. Well, thanks for listening. Uh, we hope you do all that stuff. Oh, share it as well. Yeah. If you like it, surely you know someone else who would appreciate this. And design uh, your buildings better. Yeah. Uh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, um, cool. All right. Cheers. Bye. Bye. Bye.